Praise the Lord. Love is in the air. All right? Thank God for the wonderful message of that song. Um, oh, it's a blessing to hear that. That's, that's a classic duet song for a believer. Uh, if that isn't love, you know, we are here today because of the love of God. Amen? And uh, uh, how many of you feel uh, special today? Feel loved? We ought to feel that, isn't it? It's a special, wonderful feeling because we know the truth and the fact that God loves us. Amen? It's not just written in our uh, church uh, front there, but also it's written in our Bibles. Amen? Written in our hearts, the love of God. And uh, it's a wonderful time to celebrate it last uh, Friday with uh, our brethren in the Lord. And uh, I think one of um, the things that keep our church uh, intact and together is the love that we have for one another. You know, it's uh, what binds us together, as the Bible says. So I thank you for your love for this church, your love for the Word of God. And here in Bergen Bible Baptist Church, this is always our emphasis, is the preaching and the teaching of God's Word, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And once again, it's a privilege for me to... Um, Share and teach God's Word today, and we will continue our studies, our book study in the book of Romans. Right now, we're in chapter 2. So I'd like to uh, request everyone, as we give honor and reverence to the Word of God, to stand with me, if you will. And we'll be reading, this time, verses 1 to 16. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. And uh, I always say this, uh, as a Christian, as a believer... Uh, we know our uh, emphasis in our church for this month is uh, actually stewardship, and of course, it's the love month. And uh, we heard a preaching of uh, having a desire and diligence to always have a love for the Word of God. Amen? Because we need to love the love letter that God has given us, the Scriptures, the Bible. So if you want to have uh, a better foundation of who God is and how He loves you, and how can you love Him back? You need, you need to ought to love God's Word. Amen? So today, we'll be reading from verses 1 to 16. Uh, as we read God's Word, let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to give us understanding and just, you know, reading and meditating upon God's Word is already a blessing. Amen? So if you're there, say a hearty Amen. amen. Okay, let's read it all together. Begin. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? And forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. But unto them that are contentious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law, written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of man by Jesus Christ according 
to my gospel. Thank you so much, folks. Brethren, for reading God's word with me. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we bless your name. We magnify you. We extol you. You are the main attraction in our church today. You are the center of our worship. And we just humble ourselves before you, a holy, righteous, and an awesome God. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your faithfulness, for your mercy and grace that's new every morning, for your compassions that never fail. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed us. You draw our uh, selves, Lord, uh, unto thee today. You gave us the strength to be in your house of worship, house of prayer, and we count it, Lord, as a privilege to be in the audience of the creator of the universe, our Savior and our Redeemer. And we give thanks to thee, O Father, for your goodness and faithfulness upon us. And even for this time that we can look upon your word and study this wonderful book you've given to us. And once again, Lord, as uh, your servant, in behalf of thy people, uh, once again, cleanse us, forgive us. We confess our shortcomings, our sins before thee. Wash us with your precious blood. Uh, bind the works of the evil one protect us as we have this worship service in this place. And I pray that your word will have a free course in our midst. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. Give us understanding heart and listening ears and a focused mind, Lord, to look upon your word today that it will bless us and it will help us. And I pray, Father, if there's a person in this room who's not sure of their eternal destiny when death comes upon their life, I pray, Father, that they will trust Christ today as their Lord and personal Savior. Settle this matter for all eternity. And for us who are believers, help us, Lord, to examine ourselves. May your word will be our guide, our foundation. Rebuke us, correct us, instruct us, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, to introduce this message, uh, the last time I preached in the book of Romans, I used this illustration about this uh, rich pharaoh, one of the richest king in Egypt named King Tut. All right? And I have some pictures here. All right? And that person there is Howard Carter. All right? Not Vince Carter, the dunk champion, right? But Howard Carter. Um, he discovered the tomb of old King Tut back in the early 20s. And when he finally broke into the tomb of one of Egypt's richest kings, he went in and found the casket, which they named the Scarphagus. All right? Sarcophagus, I think. It was a huge thing. So he opened that coffin. These are the people. And inside was another coffin covered with gold leaf. 24 carat gold leaf. And when they opened that coffin, and inside was a third coffin, you know, and he opened that, and inside was one of solid gold, all right? And then when he opened the fort, inside was King Tut, and he was wrapped in gold cloth, and he had, had that incredible gold mask uh, uh, put on his face, all right? And it's in the museums right now. It is so beautiful, but when they lifted that off and took off that gold cloth, what do you think you will see? <laughs> there you go. There was an old, dried, withered, dead corpse inside all of those golden things. So the outward thing did not really change what was inside of the coffin. That's why... Today, in our study in chapter 2 of Romans, we are dealing today with hypocrites. That's why the title of our message, our lesson, The Hypocrite's Triple Judgment. You know, there's a triple thing that, go, uh, that goes, uh, that happened last night. Uh, some of the sports uh, loving people here, the guys, the men, uh, maybe you followed the Super Bowl uh, a week ago, and today is the NBA All-Star, so... Uh, I think last night there were like three events, triple events for uh, like a skill challenge, a dunk contest, and um, a three-point shootout, you know? And it's time for the fans of basketball to enjoy their favorite stars and just uh, enter entertainment, all right? So there's a triple thing that happened. But today we have triple, you know, message about the hypocrite's judgment. So we see 
that many hypocrites have quite a few things on the exterior. But God, as we know, doesn't look at the exterior. He mainly looks at the interior. He looks in the heart, in the inside of man. Because God can see through all of those things that we decorate ourselves. If you look back in chapter 1, we see that God here tells us how he will handle the heathen, isn't it? The pagan, those that were without the law. And we know and we found out that they were guilty even though they were not given the law of Moses because they are judged according to the light that God has given to them. And they have two witnesses that every man on this earth have, either you're a Jew or a Gentile, educated or uneducated, these are the light that shows us that there's a God who made us and there's a God in heaven who, are, who we are accountable. Amen? There's the witness of creation. Amen? And there's the witness of conscience. The interior and exterior, the outward and inward uh, witness of the existence of God. And if man will refuse, reject that light, then he will lose that light. Isn't it? And his mind will be darkened, and he will be indulged in sin, and he will have a, what we call a reprobate mind, a debased mind. And God has to give them up at some point. So in chapter 1, it deals with the hidden. All are guilty. But in chapter 2, it deals with the hypocrite. Even if you have the law, even if you're Jewish or a Gentile, you are, as the Bible will declare, also guilty before a just and a righteous God. You know, in chapter 2, we're going to see the up and up, while in chapter one, chapter 1, we see the down and out. Amen? You know, Paul here, who was very smart and anointed by the Holy Spirit, knew that there were certain religious people who would listen with relish as he described God's judgment upon the heathen and perverts, and they would say, well, we're not that way. We're better than them. We don't do those kind of sins. So they are indignant of their sin, meaning they are resentful or aggrieved, aggravated or affronted at the sins of others, but they are indulgent of their own sins. If they are indignant of the sins of the hidden, they are, though, indulgent of their own sins. So indulgent means permissive, easygoing, broad-minded upon their own unrighteousness. As they say, the devil would rather send you to hell from a pew than to send you from hell from a gutter. Isn't it? That's scary. Because we know, yeah, a lot of people who claim they have religion, they know God, but God will say one of these days, depart from me, I never knew you. That's why we read in verses 1 to 3 of Romans chapter 2, here is a passage of scripture, and we can even understand this if we go back in chapter 1, verse 32. Let's read that. Chapter 1, verse 32 of Romans. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they, underscore the word they, which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You know, and in the preceding verses, we see here the list of sins that God abhors. That's an abomination before him, isn't it? And we studied that the last time. So it says there, knowing the judgment of God that they, but in chapter 2, verse 1, therefore thou, underscore the word thou, thou art inexcusable. Isn't it? It's easy to talk about they, their sin, but it's hard to talk about thou, my sin. God is saying here, hey, don't talk about other people. It's time right now to talk and examine your own self. It's like, you know, an illustration of a man uh, who went to the psychiatrist's office, and what had happened, he had a scrambled egg on his head and a bunch of bacon in both of his ears, you know? And he said to the psychiatrist, I need your help. It's about my brother. <laughs> well, he needs help too because... How come he has scrambled eggs on his head and bacon on his ears? But he's thinking of other people rather than himself. So it's time that we stop thinking about they and begin to think about ourselves and examine ourselves because even those who are saved may be guilty of hypocrisy, including me. 
So I'm preaching this to myself. As uh, someone said, faults in others I can see, but praise the Lord, there's none in me. <laughs> that true? Wow, that's hard to say, isn't it? So what is the hypocrite's judgment going to be like? So three things. Three things that, and three times also that we see in the verses of scripture that we read, we see the word according. Did you notice that? According. So first is in verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is first according to truth. Then we go to verse 6. Who will render it every, every man according to his deeds? So according to truth, according to his deeds. And then in verse 16, in the day when God should judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So that's our main three outlines today. God will judge the hypocrites. All of us, Gentiles or Jew, according to truth, according to our deeds, and according to the gospel. So first of all, the judgment according to truth. And therefore, when that is being judged upon us, there will be no disguise. You see, the word hypocrite means play actor. All right? I think I have a picture there of a mask. You know? Play actor. You see, that's the word literally means to play an actor. And in Jesus' time, the actors would put on disguises. If they would put on a happy face as a disguise, they would put a mask. And if they have to put a sad face, they will put one. If they have to look to be fierce, then they would put on a fierce face. And Jesus said, in the religious world, there are some who are hypocrites. They are actors. They are wearing disguises. But Paul says that the judgment is going to be according to truth. God is going to pull off that mask. There will be no disguise. Not profession, not pretension, not performance, but truth will be the standard. Wow. And now we look back, we, we think of like, oh, false teachers and prophets wearing sheep skin, but in reality they were ravening wolves, as the Bible says. Wolves in sheep clothing. So it's a profession, it's a pretension, and also a performance, but at the end of the day, and the end of time, truth will be revealed. Amen? That's why I, I love this president. He's one of my favorite presidents here in the United States of America. His name is Abe Lincoln. You know Abraham Lincoln, if you know him? He's one of the faces, the heads in, I believe, Mount Rushmore. He said this, you know, you can fool all of the people some of the time, and you can fool some of the people all of the time, but you can fool all the people all of the time. And we can add to that the fourth one, you cannot fool God any of the time. Amen? God's judgment is according to truth because he is omniscient. He knows the heart of man. Today, it's sad to say we've forgotten the truth. Amen? In this day and age that we're living in. We have sacrificed truth for what we call, they say, pragmatism. You know, we don't ask, is it true? But we ask, will it work? Opposite to, of course, pragmatism is idealism, like a higher principle, you know, a higher belief. We don't ask, is it true? We ask, does it work? You know, um, our church, we emphasize certain things every month. So I think February and March are also stewardship month. And, you know, you've heard teaching and preaching about we are God's stewards. Amen? So if God is our maker, he, we are his managers, you know? And he has a method and mode of our stewardship that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 to that we are all stewards of God-given time, talent, treasure, testimony, truth. And a steward is supposed to be found faithful. And we have this premise, this truth that everything that we have belongs to God. Amen? Do you agree with that, folks? Everything that I have belongs to God. He is the giver of all those blessings, you know, material, immaterial, physical, and spiritual. And God expects me to be good manager, steward of the God-given resources that he had given me. So if, if you believe that, that you're a manager, 
you don't really own anything in this world, everything belongs to God, then it's not so hard for you to give to the Lord. Amen? Because the more you give, the more you'll be blessed. And it's blessed to give than to receive, the Bible says, isn't it? So you believe in the principle of tithing. Amen? Oh, it's an Old Testament. We are now in the New Testament. You know, those are past. Those are relics. But you know what? God's word never changes. The principles are there. You know, if you sow sparingly, you will also reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. You know, there is still a standard in giving to the Lord. Because we can say, ah, I give from my heart, but is that really standard or something that pleases to God? You know, actually in the New Testament, the requirement is more than the Old Testament. Now it's grace giving, isn't it? Grace. If you experience the grace of God, and God's grace is amazing as we sang. God's grace is so awesome. God's grace is so, you know, available to all of us. God's grace is so bountiful. So if God's grace has been experienced by a person, by a believer, then also his service to the Lord should be gracious. It's not because of the law. It's not because it's expected. But now it's from the heart. Amen? So I always say this. Tithing is a trust fund. Can God trust you with the 10% so he can bless the 90% that you have? But if you do, okay, I'll keep, you know, the 100% or I'll keep the 90% and just give God a certain portion and the rest I will use for my own thing. Do you think God will bless you more if you give everything to Him? Since He's the blesser, the giver of all things. Amen? So God knows how we give. As I said before, if all God's people here in Bergen just give their tithes and offering, all the need that we have in the church will be met by God. We'll just trust Him and prove Him, as the Bible says, that He will open the windows of heaven and put out the blessings. There's no room to receive us. And I tell you, it's not just material blessings that God can bless you with. More than that, beyond that, is the spiritual, wonderful blessing that comes to Him day by day in our lives. You know, peace and joy can never be bought by money. Amen? Assurance can never be bought by money. You know, the confidence that you have in God, His protection, His provision, can never be compared to money. Amen? Those are just byproduct, lesser blessings if we are faithful to God. So let's give unto the Lord. Amen? Generously, because we are all stewards. We don't ask, will it work? If I give, will I be rich? I'll be out of debt? Or I'll have a new car, a new house if I give unto God? Will it work? No, we do it because it's the truth. Amen? It's what God wants us to do. And you'll be blessed if not here on earth, but the more blessing is up there in heaven eternally. So God knows your heart. God knows what you give. I don't have to know it. Amen? But give it, do it for the Lord. Because we do it out of love. Amen? His stewardship is not supposed to be a yoke of bondage. It is about loving God, loving His kingdom, loving His work. So we need not to sacrifice truth for pragmatism. Some people sacrifice truth for style. We don't say, does he or she tell the truth? Rather, do I like him? Do I like his style? Do I like her? We're not now interested in the truth. We're interested right now in America in the stock market. We are one nation under greed rather than one nation under God. I don't have to tell to you about what's happening politically right now, isn't it? There's a family who took advantage of the name and make millions out of it. I thought nung kabataan ko, ang Pilipinas lang ang corrupt, pati pala America, di ba? Because the Bible says the love of money actually is the root of all evil. A lot of people perish, isn't it? Because of that. You know, we think we are smart here in the States. Somebody said that if you were to take all of the accumulated knowledge of the world from creation all the way to 1845, let's put it in a scale, it will be an inch. All right? But if you take all the accumulated knowledge from 1845 to 1945, 100 years, it would have grown to three inches. But from 1945 to 1975, it would be as tall 
as the Washington Monument in DC. That's tall, that's a lot of knowledge. But from 1975 until this present time, it will be out of sight. Why? Because in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, the Bible says that in the last days, people will run to and fro, and knowledge will be increased. Isn't it? Is that also, in fact, the factor is the invention of the internet? Now, we were talking with our missions uh, committee yesterday. There's benefits of technology, you know, upgrades. It makes, seems like makes work life easier. You know, you can put knowledge in data even in the cloud. I don't know if it's a white cloud or a dark cloud, but it's going to be in store there. And you see now, because of the internet, because of technology, you don't have to go to the library to look at those encyclopedia to gain knowledge, to have access to information. They, you know, in the click of your fingers, in your smart devices, you can know something that you don't know before because it's accumulated, it's put together. And, of course, we know that that false Christ, that Antichrist at the end times will use technology to control the world. There will be a one-world government, one-world economy, one-world monetary system. And, and right now, in our lifetime, in this 21st century, we are seeing that set, being set up in the stage for con control of world domination. How come these are happening? Because it's in the Bible. Daniel says, in the last days, people will uh, accumulate knowledge. But the Bible says, the sad is, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, right now, people are ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of what? Truth. Isn't it now it's so hard to find truth? Because people are saying, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. It's all connected somehow. It's what they call this false idea of relativism. If you take the Bible out of the equation, if you take God's truth, the absolute truth, then man will view truth as he see fits. And we know man is so fallible. Amen? Man is so weak. We all have a sinful nature. Only God's word, only God is absolute truth. So we ought to follow God's word because it is the truth. Even though America have been one of the superpowers in the world, you know, but morally, we are still in kindergarten. We might have power in technology, military, or some wealth, but morally, sad to say right now, we are in kindergarten. Uh, people right now are confused what a woman is. Amen? <laughs> what are the two genders? What is life? The origin of life, the purpose of life, the meaning of life. Now it's all about self, me. What I feel good, what I look outside. I am I impressive? Do I have the right angle in that shot? Is that a good video? Will I get likes? It's all about me. Egocistical kind of society, isn't it? Yes, we're living in that kind of age. Morally, we're in kindergarten. But look at this. God has written us the Bible. Amen? Amen. The word of truth. John 17, 17. Sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Secondly, God has given us his Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth. John chapter 16, verse 13 to 15. God said, I will send you somebody, uh, the comforter, that will teach you all things. He's the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. That's why, you know, I'm not saying don't go to church, don't go to your Bible study or Sunday school. But as a believer, if you're a genuine true believer, there is a Holy Spirit that resides, indwells you, that illuminates you, teaches you Bible truths. You don't have to come to Pastor Sam or Brother Joe, our Bible scholar here, and you read John 3, 16. I cannot really understand this. Can you help me? If you will just diligently seek the truth and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit of God, He will help you to understand things that are spiritual. Because you have inside of you the spirit of truth. You know, God is building His church, and it says there, the pillar and the ground of truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Aren't you glad you have a Bible-believing church? Amen. And we still believe in the fundamentals of the faith. 
We still believe what the Bible says. I mean, literally, believe what the Bible says. Because the Bible says it's the pillar and ground of truth. And I know there's so many different denominations, churches out there. But what we need to seek is to seek a church that preaches the Bible. Because it's the truth. Amen? God has sent His Son, and His Son is the truth. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. 3 John, verses 3 and 4. So, we see the Bible, the Word of Truth, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, God's Church, His Ecclesia, the pillar and ground of truth, God's Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Truth. And the Apostle says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. You know, I think that's a lot of parents' hearts desire and prayer for our children. Lord, have mercy to my kids, you know. They go to school every day. They are bombarded with secular ideas, humanistic ideas. I know I cannot afford them to put them in Christian school. Blessed be to God for those parents who sacrifice and put their kids in the Christian school. At least they have that desire, like a restraint, a sort of a protection, isn't it? But of course, it's not a guarantee. You are born and raised in a Christian home. You go to a Christian school that you will walk in the truth all the way of your life. I hope so, isn't it? But it will boils down to an individual's personal accountability before God. How much they really know the Bible, the word of truth. Because they'll be judged according to the truth. Individually, personally, by God. But still, there's a blessing, amen? For those that were able to hear the truth over and over again. The truth has fallen down in the streets today. The hypocrite's judgment, however is going to be according to the truth. Now, the hypocrite doesn't understand that God is going to judge according to the truth, so the hypocrite, the play actor, has three fatal flaws in his thinking. Flaw number one, he has the idea that outward appearance is all that matters. He thinks that if only he can appear righteous, then he will be righteous. Is that so? First impression, first appearance. Is that what matters? So Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 28. Let's look at these verses quickly. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 28. Jesus is talking here to what we call the religious mafia of his days. And he says, Woe, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. It's like he's pronouncing like, you know, a negative impact here, like a judgment, like a curse. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, not juicy platter, all right? The platter during the time, but within you are full of extortion and excess. The way <laughs> men do dishes for 2,000 years have never changed. <laughs> That's why we have dishwashers, amen? But I know our Filipino men here are men, especially those 18 good men. They know how to wash dishes, amen? I know, they're clean, squeaky. They know how to use Mr. Clean, Amen? They know how to use antibacterial. They know how to like really scrape those lard, those oil, and make it shine and clean that when you use it, ah, ladies, wives, oh, this looks like new. It's sanitized, sterilized, good to go, isn't it? So, tumingin kayo mamaya dun sa cupboards church. You see some of the mugs there. <clears throat> Let's see who washed them, all right? But here, the Pharisee, they just wipe the outside but on the inside, we can see that, that there's oatmeal that is crusted, moldy already. But he puts it back up there on the shelf till his wife comes and talks to him about it. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is in the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean of them also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are likened unto white sepulchres. Kaya, pag namatay kayo, huwag kayo mag-request ng white na kabaong. Alright? <laughs> Kasi, choose black or gray or other color. But you are likened unto white sepulchers, the Bible says, which indeed appear beautiful outward. But we know in reality, but within are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Remember old king Tut? Gold leaf? Solid gold 
gold cloth, but out of those exterior decoration, you know, riches, wealth, fame, still you cannot change what's inside. Still a corpse. It's still dead. It's still something scary and clean, isn't it? Even so, the Bible says, outwardly you appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So the hypocrite thinks that all God sees is how he dresses on Sunday and how he sings and greets people and behaves. You have to pity the hypocrites because the problem with the hypocrite is on the inside, not on the outside. So he's a pretender. You see, he doesn't have the courage to go out and serve the devil and live like the devil, but he doesn't have also the true grace to really serve the Lord. So he's a great big actor. But the hypocrite is going to be judged, once again, according to the truth. His outward appearance is not going to make any difference. So his number one flaw, he thinks that outside is what all that matters. But number two, a hypocrite thinks that if he's not having trouble, he's right with God. If he's not having trouble, he's right with God. Look at verses 3 and 4 of uh, Romans chapter 2. It says there, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things? Those that list of sin given in the first chapter, in the last chapter of the first chapter of the book of Romans, and doest thou the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing, oh, we love this verse, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I'd like you to take note those three words, goodness, forbearance, long suffering. And then it was repeated, knowing that the goodness. This is what we call the common grace of God. We always say God is good. And then we respond all the time. And we think God is good not only for the Christians, the believers, but for the unsaved and the unbelievers. Because what we call the common grace of God is the grace of God that he gives to all men liberally and daily. The Bible says in the book of Matthew that he allows the sun to rise us to the just and the unjust, and the rain to fall down to believers and non-believers. It's the common grace of God. So, you know, they don't really recognize that. They thought that they are just normal, entitled to receive it, experience it. But it's the grace of God that ought to lead a person to repentance. So, the hypocrite has this idea, if they're healthy, if their bank account is up, if they have no problems, that evidently God loves them. And everything is fine, and they don't need to repent. Because look at all these blessings. But the blessing of God don't mean that you're right with God. God gives you blessing to bring you to Him. It doesn't mean you don't need repentance. The Bible says that the goodness of God should lead you to repentance. The Bible says. As a matter of fact, the goodness of God only makes your judgment more severe if you deny or fall from the goodness of God. If you're being blessed now, let me beg you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't get the idea that God's goodness is an invitation to sin more. Because the greater the blessing, if those blessings are refused, the greater the judgment when the judgment comes. See, the greater the blessing, the greater the judgment. Because the Bible says to a steward, we are all stewards, isn't it? Believers or non-believers, Christians or non-Christians. It is required for us to be found faithful. Much is given, much is required. And if I talk nationally, I want to remind you that Sodom and Gomorrah in our previous lesson were in economic all-time high when the fire and brimstone fell from heaven to judge them. That's why we read in Ezekiel 16 verse 48, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pridefulness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her Daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Sounds like what's happening in America. Full of bread and idleness, but iniquity was abounding. And God has to judge. You know? There was so much prosperity that when the fire fell, you know, they did not escape. But God is so good to them. But it did not lead them to repent. Actually, God was so merciful, isn't it? 
Abraham even interceded for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God, if you will find 50 righteous people, 50 people that fear you, will you still destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with the righteous? Because there are some righteous people there. Actually, it is just Lot <laughs> and his family. And then his son-in-law were not even qualified as righteous people because they love the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Only two of his daughters, isn't it? Went with him. Even his own wife looked back and was judged, became a pillar of salt. God knows, but he was so patient and long-suffering and merciful. We know from 50, it became to 10. There's no 10. You know, be person that fear God. See, God is so righteous. God is so holy and patient that the goodness of God should lead a man to repentance. Amen? Look at um, Luke chapter 13, verse 1 to 5, when it comes to repentance. Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. I don't have time to read this, but in summary, there's some calamity that had happened here. There were some people who were walking down the street one day, and a tower fell on them, isn't it? And before the Bible says that there were some present at the season that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there are people worshiping God, giving sacrifices to Jehovah. But Pilate, you know, allowed them to be killed and they mingled their blood with their sacrifices. That's an awful thing, isn't it? It's such a tragedy. So they were worshiping and Pilate came in and had them killed. And Jesus said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Did they die while they're worshiping God? Because they were such vile sinners? I tell you, Christ said, Nay, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Or those continuing 18 souls, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, Christ said, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. See? That's the truth there. It doesn't matter if you're righteous, self-righteous, or a heathen, or a pagan, or a sinner, if you don't repent, you will also likewise perish. So don't get the idea that if somebody has trouble, it's because God has judged them. And if you don't have trouble, God is not going to judge you. Jesus said, whether a tower falls on you or not, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. And the hypocrite doesn't understand this. He thinks that outward appearance is all that matters. He thinks that the absence of problem is all that matters. And the third flaw in his thinking is that delayed judgment does not mean no judgment. Look at verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart. The, the word there, impenitent, means callous. It's like sclerosis. You know, it's like hardening of the arteries. All right? cholesterol pill. Nag-hardening artery, it's, there's a lot of blockage. That's an impenitent heart, a callous hardened heart. He says they're treasured up unto thyself, wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, what does that mean? When God is good to you, and when God blesses a nation, and that nation hardens its heart against God, or when God blesses an individual, and that individual hardens his heart against God, God says, you're just putting wrath in the bank. You're treasuring it up against that day of wrath. It's one more deposit when you harden your heart, when you reject the truth. One day the hypocrite's judgment is going to come and God is going to say, what did you do with all of my blessings? My patience, my mercy. What did you do with the prosperity I gave you? You harden your heart. Why doesn't God judge right away? We ask that question. Why does God judge right away. I tell you why God doesn't judge right away because God waits for all that sin to be right. Remember the sins of the Assyrian? God allowed them 400 years to change their ways to repent until God has to use Israel to judge them, to wipe them out. You know? The sins of the Amalekites, the sins of the Assyrians, the, the sins of uh, the people that Jonah preached, isn't it? The, the, he hates them because he kills you know, the, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, and he doesn't really want them to be saved. But God said, I have mercy upon them. So preach. And we know that Jonah, a reluctant prophet, is still used by God, thrown by the whale, isn't it, from its mouth? You know, what a ride, amen? 
<laughs> trying to run away from God, but God used a, a great fish to bring you to the, your, your destination. And he preached for how many words? How many words did God use? Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Is that why he preached? No, isn't it? That's in the New Testament. Yet 40 days, and the city will be overthrown. Eight or ten words. And we know that's the greatest revival that happened. Because from the king all the way to the servant, the lowest from the highest, all repented. And God spared Nineveh for another hundred years. Until Nehem the prophet came and presented them the judgment of God because they turned back. But a whole generation, amen, was spared. See, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you know what? There is coming a day of wrath. And the revelation of the righteous judgment of God will be according to truth. So God is going to rip off that mask and he will say the outward appearance doesn't matter. You know, God say, is going to say the blessings that I gave you that did not mean you were right with God because that's the Jewish thinking. If you have things, then you are blessed by God. You are right with God. But if you're poor, if you have troubles, then you have sin. It's like Job, isn't it? Just man, righteous, sacrifice for his family. Then in one day, he lost everything. So his friends, instead of consoling him, they start judging him. You experience all those awful things because probably you have sinned against God. You have secret, hidden sin. But little did they know that God is just testing his faith. You see, there's a lot of hypocrites that a plenty are living high, wide, and handsome. But be warned, you are not getting away with your sin. That's why he says in verse 3, Thinkest thou that you will escape? Do you think that somehow you're going to escape the judgment of God? You can't do it. Even Houdini, I think I have a picture of Houdini here. He was an escape artist, remember? Maybe Brother Joe knows him. The younger generation. Then. You Houdini me, we use that term, you know? You escape me. But he did not, of course, escape death. He did not escape judgment if you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in his heart. He could have escaped those change. Now, right now, it's David something, um, David Blaine something that does those, you know, seems like uh, he has some other power, isn't it? <laughs> like it's not on a human level, you know? But no one will escape the judgment of God. So, amen? So, second thing, not only according to the truth, but also will be judged according to the deeds. According to deeds. Verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. You see, we know that we are not saved by works. Amen? But we will be judged by our works. That's what we call the judgment seat of Christ for believers. We'll be judged for what we've done with our bodies. With our time, talent, and treasure. The resources that God gave us to serve him. Somehow, we got the idea that certain people... Maybe Americans or maybe Baptists, maybe Bergen Bible Baptist people have special distinction when it comes to the judgment of God. But I want to tell you, we do not have. Because verse 11 says, God is no respecter of persons. There's no respect of persons with God. God has no partiality, so to speak. So many people have the idea that, it's, that God's going to grade on the curve. We're bad. But we're not as bad as they are. So these religious people in chapter 2 said they had laid themselves out in the gutter alongside the pagan in chapter 1. And they measured themselves by the pagan and they said, well, I'm a little longer than the pagan and God is going to grade on the curve. They are mistaken. As a matter of fact, James said in James chapter 2 verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, the same is guilty of all. Amen? You see, folks, God demands absolute perfection. And none of us in ourselves can provide it. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we need the righteousness of God that comes by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, has anyone here kept the Ten Commandments? You've kept them from being a child up to this point. Never fail, never disobey at one point, at any time. All right? As we always have this humor, this joke, even if your last name is Perfecto, you're never perfect. 
Because once you claim you're perfect, you're already lying, you're already sin, you're already broken one of the commandments, isn't it? So, you say, uh, yeah, I've never kept all the Ten Commandments, I've only broken one. Well, we don't believe that. But let's pretend you've only broken one. Yeah? So it's like a man dangling over a fire by a chain of ten links. The ten links represents the Ten Commandments. But one of the links is paper. The other nine are hard steel. All right? So nine of those links are forged of steel. One of them is made of creep paper. And James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, the same is guilty of all. When that's put on the fire, isn't it? The nine steel chain links will still be there. But what happened to the paper one? will burn and you will fall. You see, we are all guilty. Amen? Because never, no one has kept the law. That's why we need the Lord, Jesus Christ. So let me show you three quick things. You know, how this goes. First of all, we will be judged according to our deeds by our actions. Look at verse 6. It says there, wherever he does is going to judge him. Whatever he, a person does is going to judge him. He's going to render every man according to his deeds. That's just mean according to his sins. What kinds of sins? As we know, sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of the flesh, sins of the spirit, you know. You see, even the most respectable men, woman, boy, or girl, in this building and all over the world, who are listening to me right now or later, is just as lost as the worst criminal on earth without a second birth. Amen? That's why John chapter 3, verse 3 says, To a scribe, a Pharisee, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. John chapter 3, verse 7, marvel not, don't be confused that I say unto you, Nicodemus, you are morally upright, righteous guy. You try to follow, obey the law, but you have to be born again. Because if not, you will not be able to see or enter the kingdom of God. Not only we are going to be judged according to our actions, we'll be judged according to our attitude. Verse 7 and 8, you know. To whom who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. Aren't you glad you'll receive those one of these days? Amen? <laughs> by the grace of God, glory and honor, immortality, eternal life, righteous life in heaven. But to them, it says, that who are contentious, that are contentious or do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of men that do it evil to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. What is Apostle Paul talking about here? He's talking about your attitude. Also, we'll be judged by our advantages. All right? Not just by our action, our attitude, but advantages. Now, here's the one that ought to frighten us. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says there, Tribulation and anguish are upon every soul of man that doeth evil, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, but glory on all those things, to those that seek God. You know, why it says there always to the Jew first? Because they had the advantage. You know why? Because they were given, the Bible says, the oracles of God. They were given the law first and foremost in order to be an influencer, to be order to be a light to the other nations, pagan nations. But we know from the Bible, from history, that did they perfectly obey God? No. So even though they were given the law, they were accountable to that advantage, but God will hold them more accountable than the rest who did not receive the law. So, in a practical sense, as the Bible says, unto whomever much is given, much is required, as the Word of God says in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. So there's no real advantages, isn't it, in our time and age, and age right now? Because now we know the truth. We are given the instructions from the Word of God. God holds you responsible for being in this service today. Amen? In what you hear. God is going to judge you and me because of our advantage. You know, uh, and, and, and sad to say, you know, our missionary endeavor right now in the world, as they said, still America is the number one sending missionary country in the whole world, but less and less missionaries are being sent. You know, there are still millions of people on earth who sits in darkness who have never even once heard the name of Jesus. You see, God knows what you've heard, and unto whomsoever much is given, 
the same shall be required in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. How sad it would be to go to hell from the jungle, but how much sadder it would be to go to hell from an air-conditioned, upholstered church. Isn't it? So that's why we have to examine ourselves, you know, and God is the one that will judge us. Am I really in the will of God? Am I really doing God's will in my life? Or there are people, sometimes we think, oh, are they, are they really Christians saved? Only God knows the heart, amen? But how come there's no change, there's no desire for the things of God? And you're just sad and then you just try to ask God and, and, and pray for them. You know, Matthew 7, 22 and 24, the Bible says, Depart from me, who you work iniquity, I never knew you. One of the most saddest words a, a man would ever hear. Because they thought that they were doing the will of God. They thought they were pleasing God. But God really did not know them. Imagine there's only 12 disciples, isn't it? And one of them is a traitor. And he did some miracles. He did the activity, the form, but he was lost. He know, but he did not really believe. He pretended, isn't it? And lastly, I have to end. Amen? We're going to be judged by our deeds, by our actions, and also to, we are going to be judged according, third according to the gospel. Verse 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. How come Paul said according to my gospel? He's the preacher of the gospel of the grace of God. Amen? And we know what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, it, brethren, Apostle Paul said, what is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the good news when we heard the bad news that we are sinners. Amen? Condemned, going to hell. But the good news, Jesus died for us so we can be saved, so we can have heaven as our home, so we can be forgiven on our sins. So what on earth does Apostle Paul mean when he said, according to my gospel? He said it it's according to the truth. It is according to the truth that God gives us a way of escape. And this gospel that I preach is the gospel of the grace of God. The good news of salvation is in Christ alone. And if that gospel does not save you, it will also be the same gospel that will judge you. The Bible says the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. John 5.22 declares that. The same Jesus who wants to be your Savior will one day be your judge if you do not allow him to be your Savior right now. And you can't hold court if the judge is dead. But God raised up the judge, Jesus, after three days. Amen? In the grave. And you can hold court if the defendant is dead. But God will raise all men at the great white throne judgment to be judged by Jesus. You know, a person cannot crawl up in the grave and pull dirt upon him and pretend to be dead and, and hide from God's judgment. Because Acts 17 says here, we have a verse, Acts 17, 31, because he had appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he had ordained, whereof he had given assurance unto all men that in that he had raised him from the dead. So which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. Who is that talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. That means the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is meant to save a person is also the very resurrection that will condemn a person. You see, the gospel is a two-edged sword. It bless, it's a blessed blade that will come to heal or will come to slay. But it's a sword today and you're going to be judged according to the gospel. And I'll close with this. I have to close. There's more, but I have to close. Because somebody heated the food. There's more I didn't tell you about the day they found King Tut's tomb. All right? I have another slide there. That day they found King Tut's tomb. One day, some of Howard Carter's men came to him and said, We've been digging in a hillside, and you need to come and see. And there'd be 16 stairs that led down, and there was this smooth stone. He said, bring a sledgehammer. They brought a sledgehammer and they broke it. And Howard Carter lighted a candle, put it in there and looked around. And he saw it was a room. It was a tomb. And he put his head in there and looked. It was the tomb of King Tut. He came out, stood up, blew out the candle with a deep sigh. He said, Mr. Carter, 
What did you see? He said, I saw the richest room in all the world. I saw the richest treasure in the whole wide world. They said, but you don't seem to be excited. You're not excited. He said, I'll tell you why I'm not excited. Because 20, 20 long, dreary, dusty, dingy, expensive years ago, I dug within 72 inches of the same site, same location, and did not find it. I was so close. Folks, don't miss finding Jesus today. His will and way and work in your life. Christians, did you know that some of your friends and family and co-workers, I said this before, are very close of being saved? God knows. The greatest treasure is not the king, but the greatest treasure is knowing and finding salvation in Jesus Christ. And doing his will. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you, Lord, that you are just according to truth, according to our deeds, according to the gospel of Christ. But thank you, Lord, that as believers right now, you don't have to judge us for our sins when that time comes to decide will be our eternal destiny. Thank you, Lord, that our salvation is settled once and for all. And we believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to get to heaven. That positionally in your mind, Lord, we are already in, seated in the heavenly place. But still, we are in this world, fallen world. There's still a battle that's going on for our allegiance, for our loyalty, for our energy. And that's why we go to church. That's why we have our personal devotion. That's why we pray for one another. Because we need to encourage, strengthen one another. And the devil's design is for us to fall and just stay in one place and never go forward in our Christian life. This is desired for us to just be stagnant and not improve and progress, but regress. But it's your design for us as Christians, as soldiers of the cross, as your servant to keep on going Keep on being consistent. Keep on seeking your will. Keep on doing your will. Living by faith and sharing our faith to others. Because we know, Lord, one of these days it will really matter when we go to heaven. When we see the fruits, the labor, the reward that you prepared for us. And we do it, Lord, because our motivation is the love of Christ. And if you're here today, you've never known Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. You never trusted Him. The greatest treasure that you'll ever have in this life is not money. Not winning the jackpot on the lottery or having fame and wealth. Because those will fade away in time. Those are just temporal. But the greatest treasure that you will find that's readily available to any person is to know the Lord. His love for you, His mercy, His grace. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor Sam, uh, I heard the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves me, that He died on the cross, He was buried, and He rose again to save me. And I, I know right now that I cannot save myself. It's not religion. It's not my good works. It's not my own belief. But it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And today I want to trust Him. I want to believe on Him. I want, I want to ask Him to save me. If that's your heart's desire this morning, your prayer, if you've never done this, you've never been sure, if that comes your way, you have a place in heaven, I encourage you, now is the day of salvation. Because one of these days, the Savior that's inviting you today to trust Him will be also the same person that will judge you for your sins. It might be too late. So face Him now as a Savior. If you want to be saved, just raise your hand. If you want to trust Christ as your Savior. If you've never done this before, anybody in this room or in the sound of my voice, if not, and if you're not sure of your eternal destiny, I encourage you to call upon the name of Jesus. Ask Him to save you. It's simple to be saved, but it costs God everything. It costs the life of His dear, only begotten Son. All you need to do 
is to realize your lost condition before God, repent of your sin, ask Him to forgive you, and receive His gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You can pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I'm sorry. Forgive me of all my sins. I repent of all of it. And by faith, I want to receive your forgiveness and eternal life through the sacrifice that you did for me on the cross by shedding your blood. Save me and help me to know you and live for you. In your name I pray. Amen. For Christians here, the message is simple. God wants us to be true to Him. We cannot live a life of pretending and hypocrisy. God wants us to be real to Him because He's real to us. Amen? And there will come a time that you might feel like, Oh, Lord, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm burned out. It seems like nothing really matters. But, you know, our faithfulness to God matters to Him. And our motivation is supposed to be that Lord, since you love me and you sacrifice, you've given me everything, I want to give to you what I have for your glory and for your honor. So if you're not serving now, serve the Lord right now. If you haven't faithful in your giving, give to God right now while there's still time. If you haven't witnessed and prayed, it's time for to witness and pray. You know why? Because you don't know how much time you have. When was the last time you did something for the Lord? It says there in the verse that we read, there's an appointed time for everyone. Young people don't think that, oh, I have more time to live for God, to serve God. Nobody can know our tomorrows, our future. Only God knows. So what's important is right now. So tell God, Lord, here's my life. I want to know you more. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. Make me a good steward, manager of what you've given me. Because one day I know I'll be judged according to the truth, to my deeds, and the gospel. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this blessed time. Thank you for your word that we heard today. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that you allowed us to receive. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that has set us free, that had healed us. Thank you, Lord, that we have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the church that will aid us in knowing the truth. We, you have given us a God-fearing man in this church, teachers who has the desire to continue to teach us the Word of God. Lord, bless their lives. In the midst of confusion, of deception, may we stand fast to the truth of God's word. It's such a privilege, Lord, not to live a lie of deception, a life of deception or lie, but in the truth. And we know, Lord, that the safest place in the world is in the will of God. It might not be the easiest, but it's the best place in the whole wide world. So thank you, Lord, for what you taught us and bless the rest of this church service that we have and bless our Brethren who are watching with us online, those that cannot make it today, bless our visitors, bless our brethren, meet our spiritual needs, Lord, continually, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.